Tonight I want to unpack the story of Joseph. I love the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Anyone else love the story of Joseph? Yeah, love this guy. I think Joseph brings heaven to earth in a way that we don't usually think about it. Sometimes when we think of bringing heaven to earth, our mind rests with the supernatural and the miraculous and the super spiritual, like all your miracles and your big deliverances or things like that as well. But And that is, that absolutely is bringing heaven to earth. But Joseph was a far more pragmatic man. And he brought heaven to earth in a different way. If you don't agree with me, you see Joseph save a whole nation from starvation. And if you don't think saving a whole people from starvation, helping the poor and the marginalised, if you don't think that's bringing heaven to earth, then we're probably reading different Bibles, I think. So I wanna look around his life tonight. But... It's just one story. So I wanna preface this a little bit by saying that because God can work like this, it doesn't mean God must work like this. That there are things we can glean from this, but it doesn't mean it is a blueprint for how God must work. In fact, we can learn more from Joseph here than we can about God, because as we'll see as we unpack this, God reacts in a whole bunch of different ways to different people in the same circumstances. From what I can see, throughout the Bible, your fruitfulness for God, your external fruitfulness, the fruit around your life, and your internal fruitfulness, the peace and love, the fruits of the Spirit in your heart, depends on the type of yes that you say to God. I think there's two types of yeses that people can say to God, that Christians can say to God. A yes if, or a yes even if. There's two types of yeses that you can say. A yes if is a conditional yes. Think of the rich young ruler. What else must I do to be saved, God? I'll do whatever it takes, Jesus. Okay, sell your possessions, give up your riches. Oh, nope, I'm out. That was where he ended. We never hear of the rich young ruler again, a man who was morally awesome, who had all the the wealth of the world. He could have been something great, yet he's never mentioned again because he had a yes if faith. But there's people that have a yes even if faith. It's like your Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego that say, yes, we will worship our God and we're gonna get chucked in this fiery furnace, but even if God doesn't come through, I will not bow to your idol. There's a yes if faith and a yes even if faith. And unfortunately for what I see in many of the mainstream churches, people have a yes if faith because there's a line where they'll follow Jesus too, but if the Bible says something contrary to their worldview, then that's where they tap out. But we need a yes, even if faith. And this is important. When we see in the story of Joseph, God's plans come to fruition using yes, even if people. If your obedience or your love for God has conditions, then you'll cut and run when things get tough. But through the life of Joseph, we'll see that hardship is definitely a part of life. And in fact, when it is around your life, the greatest good may be just on the verge of happening. We're gonna see through Joseph's life with God that silence from God is not absence from God. We're gonna see that a lack of breakthrough does not mean a lack of approval. That hardship does not mean you're out of God's good graces or that you're facing some kind of cosmic karma for something you've done in the life before. Actually, hardship often means God's gonna bring about a goodness in your life. But I've titled my message this because sometimes our definitions of good can be wrong compared to God's definition of good. And so my title of my message is this, it might not be okay, but it will be good. And I want you to get this concept tonight. It might not be okay, but with God, it will be good. And so there's some questions I think Joseph's life answers for us. 
Um, and, and these are the questions that as I was studying this, it answered for me. Can other people block God's purpose or dream for my life? It's gonna answer that. Should I pray for hard times to leave me? Why do some people see breakthrough and others in similar circumstances don't? Does righteousness get rewarded? What part of heaven coming to earth depends on him and what part depends on me? I think the story of Joseph answers this really well. Before I go into the specific scriptures, let me give you an overview of his life. Uh, We'll put some key events on the screen behind me so we can just go a quick overview of of Joseph's life. Joseph was favoured by his father. He had some dreams when he was 17. He had two dreams of the sun and the moon and the stars bowing down to him, signifying that his family would bow down to him. That, him sharing that, resulted in him being put in a pit. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. Not a great start to life. Next part was good. Out of everywhere he could be sold, he ended up in Potiphar's house, who was the head of the guards of Egypt. And he ended up, because of his character and his wisdom and his discernment, leading that whole household. He's on this roller coaster ride. Uh, and then he gets falsely accused of rape and put in prison. Down he goes again. After that, in prison, he's recognised again. He's interpreted some more dreams. And because, again, because of his discernment, he ends up managing the jail. Uh, because that he's forgotten in jail. The people who he helped out said, we'll remember you, bro. We got you. We got your back. We're putting a good word with the Pharaoh. He is forgotten in jail again. Finally, he interprets dreams for Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, you're the wisest man I've ever met. You can rule the whole nation. Here you go. Only I will be above you. And he ends up ruling Egypt. And through that, he saves his family and saves a nation from starvation. That's Joseph's life. Covers about whatever, 10, 15 chapters in about 30 seconds. But now you have an overall picture of what we're gonna be unpacking. You have a bit of the context for it. We start at the start. At 17 years of age, Joseph gets a dream, a couple of dreams. The sun and the moon and the stars bowing down to him. And in his youngness, Joseph here isn't the wise discerning man yet that's needed to rule Egypt. And so in his eagerness and in his excitedness, he runs to his brothers thinking they're gonna be as stoked as he is that one day they're gonna bow down before him. They're not stoked. Back in those days, the oldest always gets the inheritance of the father to say that they would bow down to the lesser is a huge insult. The Bible even says that they hated Joseph for it, hated him. This is who he grew up with. This is his brothers. This is his closest. And they said they hated him for it. And I think dreams are important. At a men's meeting recently, Pastor Adam put on this amazing men's meeting with Jeff Wilson, who is this polar explorer, does crazy, crazy things across ice caps. And um, he, he said in, in that meeting something that'll never, that is resounded in my heart for this moment is that dreams are so important right now. And what COVID has done is made people think safety more than dreams. They just hold what you have, don't dream for the big again. And it can squash a whole generation of dreaming, but dreaming produces hope in people. These big dreams that have been put in your heart by God produces a hope for the future of what could be. So dreaming is important. But we can learn from Joseph along that as well that not everyone is as excited about your dreams as you will be. In fact, because sometimes your dream is big enough or different enough or audacious enough it will make other, feel, other people around you feel uncomfortable because of their own insecurities or their dream isn't. 
And in Australia, we live in a, a nation of tall poppy syndrome. And so people around you, you can't expect them to be excited about your dream as you are. They'll probably try and pull you down to the level of the status quo. And I pray that we are never a people like that. That when someone says a dream that God has, we encourage them to lift up and go for it instead of because of our own insecurities, we reduce it to the smallest person in the room. We can't be a community like that. We must allow people to dream with God. And one day, Joseph's father sends him to see how his brothers are doing. They're shepherding their sheep. Joseph's father sends him to where they're supposed to be shepherding. And we pick up the story in Genesis 37. Joseph finds someone there. I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph said. Can you tell me where they're pasturing their flocks? They've moved on from here, the man said. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. Now Dothan's important place. We'll go back to that soon. So Joseph set out after his brothers and found them there. He saw them in the distance. And before he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. They said to one another, oh look, here comes the dream expert. So now come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. We can say that vicious animal ate him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Judah said to his brothers, what do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him for he is our brother, our own flesh. Because selling to slavery is much better than killing. And his brothers agreed. When Midianite traders passed by, his brother pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver and they took Joseph to Egypt. What a, what a betrayal. The people that he grew up with, the people that were closest to him would actually rather him dead than to bow down to him. And I don't know how long Joseph was there, but he was in this pit long enough that they waited for traders to come by. They waited for slave traders to come past. So he would have been down in this pit. Uh, he couldn't get out, so that means it was a pretty deep pit. He was probably broken and bruised from being chucked in there. He was hurt and confused and, and wondering, God, you gave me this dream, but now I'm in a pit. It's clearly like, I don't see how they're related. How is this going to work? It seems like from a human perspective that the sins of man have beaten the plans of God. But from this story, I am sure, and from others in the Bible as well, other people's actions cannot stop the plans of God for your life. And maybe that's, here, maybe that's you here today, you feel like you've had opportunities that are squashed by other people or things didn't line up and the door didn't open and the pathway stopped dead, whatever it was, man's actions cannot stop the plans of God. In fact, if you look at this moment in the grand scheme of Joseph's life, by chucking him in the pit, they didn't stop the plan of God, they actually set it in motion. Without the pit, there is no Potiphar. Without the Potiphar, there is no prison. Without the prison, there is no Pharaoh. And God, all throughout the Bible, uses the forces of evil to bring about His good. Like in the Old Testament, Israel are being Muppets, so He used the Chaldeans to come and beat some sense into them. He uses the forces of evil constantly to bring about His strategic plan. God is sovereign. And sometimes in the pit, you can't see the sovereignty of God, but we have to trust. And this is why a yes, even if faith is important, that even if I'm in a pit, I trust that God's plans are still working. But Joseph probably can't see that right now. In verse 17, it says he's put in a, in a pit in a place called Dothan. 
He's wondering if God's gonna come through and rescue him. God, you gave me a dream. If you have one hiccup on your journey to your dream, your journey to your calling or potential, you can probably ride that out on your own strength. You wonder, all right, I'm in a pit. That's okay, I know I've got a dream. I got a word, it's gonna carry me through. God's gonna come through, God's gonna rescue. And then he gets sold into slavery. God doesn't come through for him there. God's silent, but silent doesn't mean absent. Now, Dothan's important because in, in 2 Kings chapter 6, something else happens in the exact same place. This is probably two, three centuries later, and Elisha is there with his servant. King Aram, the king of Aram, is there pursuing him. He's hunting him, and there's a whole army surrounding him in the exact same place. And the servant says to Elisha, We're going to die. What are we going to do? And then Elisha prays, God, show him what I see that those who are for us are greater than those against us. And this army of angels surrounds the physical army that is there. Same place, same God. Why does Elisha get a supernatural intervention yet Joseph gets sold into slavery? And so often in our lives, we play the the comparison game spiritually where I'm there and and Pastor Liam just got healed, but I'm dealing with sickness for three years. Same God, same place, similar circumstances. Why why does God come through for some people, but He doesn't come through for me? It's because God's plans are more important than your comfort. That you will never be able to understand and find a peace in the pit if your comfort is more important than God's glory. God doesn't intervene with Joseph because his purposes are greater. And if we could see the end goal of saving a nation, then we'd be like, oh yeah, sure, that makes sense. But so often we're so short-sighted in our judgment of God. Do you realise that this generation has never been so short-sighted in our judgment? You judge God based off one moment, one snapshot in your life, one event, one Bible verse that you now label as archaic and you believe that that's not a God that is loving. And we judge God based off one small thing. When God is being here for an eternity and He sees the grand scheme, He sees that the nation of Egypt are gonna need to be fed and it's gonna require a man of God with discernment to feed them. And so maybe Joseph has to go through some stuff and maybe has to be built, but that's the kind of deliverer that God needs to make in order to make Egypt free again. So even if I get thrown in a pit, yes, even if my family betray me, I'll do what you need me to do, God, I'm in this. And Joseph was starting to be shaped because you're shaped in suffering and you're challenged and created in uncomfortableness. There's a development happening here. There's a resilience happening here. The rich young ruler, he tapped out when it got hard, when it got to his if statement, he tapped out there. But Joseph, without the pit, he never would have made it to the palace. That's what it required, this roller coaster of a life. And, and as Christians, I think we need to stop hating our pits. We need to stop hating the hard times that come around. The Bible says, count it all joy. Count it all joy. And, and I'll get to it later, but not joy because things you're gonna be exalted to the ruler of Egypt. That's not why you count it joy. You count it joy because God is doing a work, because God is present, because you have God, because the Lord is your reward, not where He's gonna exalt you to. You have to go through some things now if you wanna grow into what's coming. And and Joseph endures. He says, yes, even if. And, And out of that, out of everybody he could have been sold to, he could have been sold to terrible people. He sold to the captain of the guards. 
That in itself has to be a divine provision. And I know some of us be like, well, get him out of slavery completely. That would be a divine provision. But I think this is a divine provision. Potiphar, God was working in seemingly unfortunate circumstances. And the Bible says the Lord was with him and everything he did was successful. No matter where he was, no matter your environment, no matter the job, maybe you got blamed for something and you got demoted. No, no matter what, that if the Lord is with you and you keep your heart right, you will be successful in the ways that matter. And he is elevated to oversee all of Potiphar's house, his land, everything. Potiphar says, there's one thing that's off limits to you, my wife. And Joseph says, no problems, all good. But then the Bible also describes Joseph as a good looking young man. And Potiphar's wife starts sniffing around a little bit. Someone else's intention started making trouble for Joseph again. The CSB translation says he is well built and handsome. And Joseph's just going about his work. He's doing whatever it takes. Maybe one day he's there cleaning the pool and Potiphar's wife's there and sees him cleaning the pool. She's over there sunbaking and she saunders over. I've, I can't put sunburn cream on my back, Joseph. Do you mind helping me out? Joseph runs away, he doesn't want a bar of it. He's a man of integrity. What a good man. But day after day, she keeps trying to seduce him until finally inside one day, he said, Joseph, come, come sit over here. Joseph says back to her, how could I do this immense evil? How could I? Nothing cools off a cougar like calling her immense evil. <laughs> but Joseph runs away in this moment. And this is a, a, a takeaway, especially for young people in this place. There's many times in the Bible where it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. When it comes to sexual temptation, which is anything sexual outside of marriage, the Bible says flee, run away. You're not strong enough, you cannot handle it. Doesn't matter how tough you are, how much you love God, the Bible says flee. Joseph leaves his coat, and legs it, he runs out of there. Genesis 39, Potiphar's wife, she put Joseph's garment beside her until his master came home. Then she told him the same story. The Hebrew slave you brought us came to make a fool of me. And when I screamed for help, he left his garment beside me and ran outside. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, these things your slave did to me, he was furious. And he had Joseph thrown into prison where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph was there in prison. Ruling a great property, back in prison because he was a moral person. Sometimes in life, it seems it would be easier to be immoral to get ahead, like in business decisions or whatever it may be. If you just cut the corner here, none of this other bad stuff would have happened. But if you, and sometimes if you're moral, you pay the consequences. And I can just see Joseph here being like, this is what my righteousness gets me, God. This is what it gets being a man of integrity and character. This is what I get for doing good. But because we know the end of Joseph's story, we can see some things in 2020 retrospective vision. Joseph's about to manage like the whole GNP of Egypt. He hasn't gone to business school. He hasn't studied. Where do you learn? And I know God gives him wisdom, but the same kid couldn't even discern when to tell his brothers he had a dream. Yet now he's gonna have the whole nation of Egypt or the wealth or the people or the workers under him. Where does he learn to become a person like that? Well, he learns it in the pit. 
and he learns it in Potiphar's place. And now he needs to learn it in prison because God's not done shaping him yet. He's not the man he needs to be yet for the Pharaoh. So he gets put back in prison. Righteousness doesn't mean you get instant earthly rewards. Living a life of holy conduct ensures you stay on the right path for God to equip you with what He needs to equip you specifically to fulfil the purpose of your life. Proverbs 16 verse nine. I think this is a, a lifer verse for me. A person's heart plans his ways, but the Lord determines his steps. A person's heart, your heart, you'll make plans, plans are fine, but God determines His steps. This has given me such a peace over the years when it comes to decision-making. Because so many times you're like, God, do I go down the left path or do I go down the right path? Neither are inherently evil. How do I choose which one you want me to do? And God says, nothing. And so often God says, I've given you wisdom and discernment, plan your ways and I will direct your steps. So whatever, if you are honouring God with your heart intentions towards this decision, whichever one you make and step towards is gonna be right because God determines your steps. God is determining Joseph's steps. You mean God wanted him to go to the pit and want him to go, God's determining his steps? Yes, it's exactly what I'm saying is happening. God is determining his steps. Would a loving God do that? God is, is looking for people who make self-sacrifice in order for other people to manifest the plans of God in their world. The, the call to follow Jesus is a call to take up your cross. It's not a call for self-exaltation. It's a call for God-exaltation and self-humility. A person's heart plans his ways. The Lord determines his steps. Your job is heart. God's job is steps. Joseph's responsibility is his conduct. God's responsibility is his elevation. Joseph's responsibility are his habits and actions. God's responsibility is making the dream come true. There's a quote that said, many of us have upward dreams, but downward habits. Many of us have these grandiose endeavours we want to depart on, but the habits of our life actually put us on a downward spiral. Like in a ministry aspect, say I wanted to run, one day I want to, a thousand, 10,000 person church, but I don't really wanna even learn how to disciple 10 people in a life group. See, we have a grandiose idea, but downward habits. Same thing with a business. I want a business that clears this much per year, but I cannot make the faithful stewarding decisions with the small I have now. Many of us have these upward dreams, but downward habits. Like I wanna love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength and all my mind, but I can't find five minutes today to read the Word of God. Sometimes we have downward habits, yet this upward dream and the disparity between those things is always gonna be disappointment and frustration. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that He may exalt you at the proper time. Our job, humbling ourselves. God's job, exaltation at the proper time. And As I was writing this, I I think one of the biggest mistakes is us thinking that the end of our lives is the deadline for God to exalt us. God says the proper time He will exalt you. Think about a martyr. The Bible talks about martyrs a lot. People who lose their lives in countries where you cannot follow Christ. 
talks about people who are beheaded for following Christ, people who lose their lives. And it says at the end, they're gonna be resurrected first. They're gonna rule with Jesus for a thousand years. They get the best robes, these pure white robes, because they get exalted at that time. That's the proper time for their exaltation. Sometimes the proper time for your exaltation might not be on this side of your death. Sometimes, in Joseph's case it was, but I don't wanna make the biblical error of saying, if you follow God, you're gonna be wildly successful in life. God's exaltation of who you are is not limited to the 80 year lifespan that you enjoy on planet Earth. He lives in eternity. We are built for eternity. There is a time for exaltation, but your job is simply to humble yourself unto the mighty hand of God. And Joseph's conduct, his values, his wisdom, see him managing the entire jail. Because when you embrace the humility of God and godly character, it's like a life jacket that's on your life that the circumstances and scenarios and events of life can push you under the surface of the water, but because of your godly character, you always seem to pop back up to the top. And while he's in there, the king throws in these cupbearers and he throws in a baker. I don't know know what they did to get in prison, but he didn't like the baker. He interprets their dreams for them and they end up getting back out of prison and they go back to Pharaoh. And one day, Pharaoh has these dreams as well. He has a dream, um, firstly, of uh, these cows, these big, fat cows, healthy cows, and seven of them, and then seven skinny cows come and eat the big, fat cows. And they have no idea what it means. Everyone tries to interpret it, no idea. And then the baker remembers, hey, I met this dude in prison. I think his name was Joseph. He, he interpreted our dreams and it was pretty spot on. Let's go grab him because Joseph's conduct and the gifts of God in his life made a way for him. And so he comes before Pharaoh and he interprets the dreams correctly saying, hey, what's gonna happen is you're gonna have seven good years of harvest and then you're gonna have seven years of famine. And Pharaoh says, oh, well, that's terrible. How do we manage this? And so Joseph lays down this plan, strategic plan. He's learned how to manage things in prison and at Potiphar, and he's learned how to be resilient in the pit. And so he lays out this plan for Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says this in Genesis 41. The proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And he said to them, can we find anyone like this, a man who has God's Spirit in him? And I pray if we're known by anything, church, that we're people who have God's Spirit in us. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as discerning and as wise as you are. You will be over my house and all my people and all my people will obey your commands. Only I as king will be greater than you. What a promotion. One day, one moment you go from prisoner to prince. It doesn't matter your circumstance. It doesn't matter how bad things look. God can turn everything around in just a moment. It's your circumstances. It doesn't matter how bad it gets, how many pits you've been in. That doesn't worry God. It doesn't matter how bad it looks. If you keep your heart right, that is your responsibility. Follow God, trust God. God can make a way in a moment. And Joseph's life, this is all by the time Joseph's 30. It's not like his whole life was hardship, hardship, hardship. But he's been on this roller coaster. And so if you've been going like this for a long time, he gets to another peak. And when you're at the peak, when something good happens and you've been on a roller coaster, and many of us have been on roller coasters of emotions, roller coaster of circumstance, roller coaster of finance, over especially the last two years when everything's been so disrupted, 
When you've been on the journey of a roller coaster and you're at the top, you expect to go down again. And so there's challenges when an opportunity gets put in your hand again. You can already have lost your hope and lost your dreaming. And so there's challenges when things come when things come back around, when God gives you an opportunity, sometimes we don't embrace it with everything that we are because we're like, yes, well, after the hill comes a big dip. Like love for you can feel funny when you've been in abusive relationships before and this one might be the same, right? Or opportunity might feel funny when you've lost it before or promotion might feel weird when you failed before and sometimes we don't embrace the great things God has for us because we're already expecting them to go in the pattern of our life before but God breaks cycles of dysfunction like that. He makes things new just like that. And for people that have been on this roller coaster again and there's no hope, you even when something good happens, you're like, well, woe is me, something bad's probably just around the corner and we can embrace this victim mentality. If anyone had a reason to be a victim, it was Joseph, where he acted morally, yet he kept because of other people's intentions and failings, getting put in the wrong position. But God stops those cycles. And for people that have been going through that, this message is a message of hope for you today. Because no matter the roller coaster you've been on, it has been building you for a purpose in this next season. Even if it doesn't feel okay, it will be good. And finally, the famine hits, but Joseph has ensured the country is going to be all right. And now his brothers, they come to Egypt. They don't know that Joseph's still alive. They assume he's dead. But they hear of a guy who had the Spirit of God in him, enough foresight to plan and have food. So they come to Joseph to beg for some food. And while they're there, after a bit, Joseph probably does this dramatic flourish. I am Joseph, I am alive. I'm assuming he was you know, kind of dramatic. I don't know why, I just get that feeling from him. And then they're petrified because the second most powerful man in Egypt was the person they tried to kill. And they think he's gonna kill them. But Joseph's father on his deathbed says this in Genesis 50. And and this is some of the most powerful scripture, I think, for uh, getting through bitterness, for dealing with forgiveness. Say this to Joseph. Please forgive your brother's transgressions and their sin, the suffering they have caused you. Please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when their message came to him. His brothers also came to him. They bowed down before him and said, we are your slaves. They, that was the dream. The sun and the stars bowing down to him. And here it happens, right there. That's where the dream is fulfilled. That all this from start to finish, the roller coaster, the pits, the palace, the dream came true. How many times had Joseph thought that dream was a mistake? I didn't hear God clearly. That wasn't a word from God. Here it comes true after years of suffering. But Joseph says to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? He's not too big for his boots. He's not proud. You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. And I think this demonstrates a key to progressing through pits and progress in the prison and in the palace while keeping your heart clean, while dealing with bitterness, 
And it comes here right through this forgiveness. This is Joseph's thing. Forgiveness is a key part of his life because he had every reason to hold on to the bitterness towards his family who betrayed him. But if he did, it would have swallowed him whole. He might have never made it out of Potiphar's house or the prison. He might not. If, if you have bitterness around your life, it is not a good environment for learning and growth. But Joseph shed his bitterness because he had this heart of forgiveness, but it wasn't an impersonal pardon. Forgiveness without love is an impersonal pardon which leaves a divide in a relationship. But forgiveness with love builds a bridge for reconciliation. Forgiveness in love. Forgiveness is not just about you. If you look at the way that Joseph did it and you look at the way that Jesus did it, they forgive, but they build a bridge from their side. And many times in many relationships, the people that we have to forgive, sure, we may have to separate them because of hurt or because of abuse or because of damage or things like that as well. But true forgiveness always believes that we have a God of reconciliation that can build a bridge back. That when Jesus came, we were still in our sin. And even when we're in our sin, Jesus came, He gave His life, not that He forced it on us, but whoever believes and repented and said, Jesus, I'm sorry, that bridge was built to come back. It was forgiveness of us with love. And Joseph does the same thing. It says he, he weps and he falls on his brothers and they cry together. It's this amazing reunion, this forgiveness with love. Forgiveness builds a bridge back from your side. Jesus built that bridge back from His side. And not that the other person doesn't need to change, might need to deal with their hurt or go through whatever process they need to, to be healed, to have a functional relationship again. They might need to earn the trust back, but we must believe that God is a God of reconciliation. That even the thief on the cross right there, about his whole life, in one moment, he's going to heaven. That's what forgiveness can do. And then Joseph says this famous biblical phrase, you planned evil against me, God planned it for good. It would have been so much easier for Joseph if he knew the plan. Instead of a dream about sun and stars, why don't you just say for the next 10 years of my life, it's gonna suck and then you're gonna be the boss of Egypt. I can persevere through that. If we could just have that, if we just have the end goal, then I could probably persevere through most of the suffering and hardships of life. If I knew what it was for, but God doesn't tell Joseph why. And you look through the story of Job, He doesn't tell Job why. He doesn't tell Paul why. He's in the habit of not telling people why. He's probably not gonna tell you why. Why does God do that? Because if the reward for your suffering is something temporary, then your endurance and resilience in your faith will be temporary. Joseph's reward had to be the Lord. It had to be the Lord. When, when Jesus went through the most horrific thing, the only person that could see their future and what it was gonna come to was Jesus. And He saw the torture and He saw the disfiguration of His body as nails were gonna go through His hands, a crown of thorns that bled His head. He knew all that. How did He get through it? He said, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. The joy set before Jesus was not God the Father. Jesus came from heaven. You know, He's already been there. That's, that's not His joy. His joy was the ability to have a relationship with humanity again. The ability, that forgiveness to build a bridge between you and I and Him again. That was a joy that kept Him there. Like, I will go through the pain for that. And if we are to endure like Joseph did, 
to reach our place, to bring heaven to earth in our hearts and around us. We have to be people that can persevere in the pit and make it to the palace and everything in between. But it only happens when the Lord is your reward. How do we see Jesus as our reward? We look at Jesus and as we realise that we are His reward and His prize, He starts to become ours. Let me pray as we close tonight. Lord, I, I thank You. We don't feel deserving to be Your reward, Jesus. I thank You that You use people like us to do magnificent things. God, I thank You that You're starting to reignite dreams in hearts again in this place. That in the seasons of disruption and COVID and everything else that's gone on, it's like a fire blanket has been put on some fires in people's hearts, some big dreams, some God dreams. Holy Spirit, would You breathe on that again? It's like fanning into flame some dreams and gifts that are on people's lives again tonight. We start to excite them for the things of God again. Give them big dreams again. Give them Joseph-sized dreams again. And God, I thank You that You never leave us, You never forsake us, that even when we're in the pit or in the palace in suffering or success, You are with us and You're building us for a purpose. You're building this church for a purpose. God, may we be a church that encourages one another to pursue their God dreams, to step into big things, great things, to endure in a joyful faith. And above all, God, can we see You as our reward. Holy Spirit, can You just reveal to us right now how precious You are, Jesus, that You are our reward. We love You, God. And while all heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just wanna give an opportunity for anyone who hasn't made a decision to follow Jesus like that. Maybe you've had an even if faith, but tonight the Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of your heart saying that you need to have that Yes, even if. Not a yes, if faith, but a yes, even if faith. That no matter what happens in your life, you're all in. You're following God. Jesus will be the Lord and Saviour of your life. Maybe you've had one foot in the world, one foot in the church, but you know tonight you can only get through this crazy life if you are all in for God. And so if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, or you need to make a decision again to follow Him tonight, the count of three, I'd just love you to raise your hand and we're gonna pray together one. He knows where you've been. He knows the pits of your life and your dreams of your life. He gave you those dreams. He wants to see them come to fruition too. You're here tonight for a purpose, for this reason, to go deeper, step deeper in your relationship with Jesus. And so if you need to come back to Him, make a decision or follow Him for the first time, three, I'd love you to put up your hand in this place. We're gonna pray together. Thank you, I see that hand. Thank you, I see that hand on the side. Thank you. See that hand, great decision. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. God, I saw hands go up and maybe I didn't see them all, but it doesn't matter if I see them because you saw the intent of their heart. Like a sunflower turning towards the sun, you saw a heart turn back towards you, full of wonder and affection and love. And Lord God, for those hearts today, Holy Spirit, will You take up residency in their life? Will You start to regenerate them from the inside out, changing their heart, changing their loves, changing their affections so that all that they want is You and Your, your purposes for their life. I thank You that salvation 
is not just something that gives us a good life here on earth, but salvation gives us life with You for eternity. Thank You, Jesus, for salvation that has come into hearts tonight. In the Name of Jesus, Amen and Amen. Can we celebrate those decisions today? Great decisions, great decision, great decision. If you did make that decision, you have to follow Jesus always for yourself. But don't follow Him by yourself. We are a church that do this together. Some of the ways that we do that on the screen behind me, keep coming to church, find a life group, start growth track. If you don't have a Bible, go to the lounge. They'll give you a hard copy on your phone's great. But having your own Bible is something special. Reading it in, your, you know, in a nice chair at home, a hard copy Bible is something good about it. Make sure you do that. Tell somebody. One of the greatest things you can ever do if you've made a decision Tell somebody you made it, ask them to explain some things about it. But let's put our hands together again. Salvation is an amazing thing we never wanna take for granted.